I'd like to start with a question this afternoon. If you were to take your temperature spiritually, if you were to put a thermometer into your soul, what would the reading be? What would it look like? Maybe you're feeling kind of fired up for God. Maybe you're feeling full of enthusiasm for him, full of love for him. Uh, You just can't keep yourself away from, from church and from meeting with Christians and from praying and reading the Bible. Fantastic. Or maybe... Maybe the, the red reading in the, in the thermometer is a little bit less high than that. Maybe it's more kind of middling. Maybe you're struggling with something, struggling with perhaps sin, something that you've, you've wanted to get on top of for, for months, years, and, and you're still struggling with it and you're feeling discouraged. Maybe you're going through a situation in life that's hard, a, a person, a relationship that's difficult, and you, you just feel, where, where's God in this? And you feel distant from him or just a bit cold. Maybe you're just feeling a bit kind of spiritually lifeless and you're aware that you're, you're here at church but you're kind of going through the motions. Maybe you kind of felt as you walked through the door this afternoon, I shouldn't be here, I'm a hypocrite. What am I doing at church? Anyone been there? I know I have. I've been there. Maybe you, you're there right now and maybe you're kind of longing to be out of that place. Or maybe you've, you're there and you've kind of given up and you've just accepted that's just where you are. Or maybe the spiritual reading on your thermometer is, is even lower than that. Maybe it's, it's zero. And you're here, and, but there's no real spiritual interest. You're here for other reasons. And you're actually not really concerned about uh, things of God or Christianity. It just doesn't really feel relevant to you. Well, wherever your thermometer is, your spiritual thermometer, it's, we're glad you're here. It's, it's great that you're here. Because what we're going to do this afternoon is look at Jesus in uh, the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark. And as we look at Jesus, things happen, right? As we look at Jesus, spiritual thermometers change. And that's, that's my prayer, that's our prayer, as we go through this Gospel of Mark and as we're going through this, this passage that we're looking at today, is that God, by his Holy Spirit, will be at work in your heart, in every one of you. And this, your spiritual temperature will be affected. So... The passage that we're looking at today in, in Mark's Gospel, as, as Peter mentioned earlier, we're seeing Jesus in action. All right, we're going to watch him in action. And we're going to see that what he says and what he does, it helps us to understand why our spiritual temperature isn't 100% all the time. I think it helps us to understand why our, our temperature can go cold. And, and as we understand that, it helps us to, to think about, well, how do we respond then? And perhaps it might even cause us, to, I don't know, to, to rethink. To rethink something of what we thought Christianity was about or what we thought Jesus was about and what he came to do. So the passage we're going to look at is on page 837 in these Bibles. If you've got a Bible, please uh, flick it open to page 837. We're going to start at Mark chapter 2 and verse 18. If you've got another form of Bible, electronic or other. Mark chapter 2 verse 18. Uh, while you're looking that up, um, just a brief recap on the past couple of weeks. We're in week three of this, this series, as Peter mentioned, Jesus on Mission, looking at the Gospel of, of Mark, one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. So two weeks ago, Peter mentioned uh, five things that we can expect to see as we go through uh, Mark over the next couple of months. Five kind of themes that are there. So number one, Jesus kind of leads his disciples, and we, we're going to learn what it means to follow Jesus and, and be a disciple of Jesus. Number two, Jesus teaches and we see Jesus teaching with authority and, and wisdom. Number three, he, he, he casts out demons. And we think a bit, a bit about that world, the world of the demonic and what that means, how, how that relates to us. 
Number four, Jesus heals people. And number five, he preaches, preaches the message of God's kingdom. There's five kind of major themes to look out, look out for. Peter also mentioned last week, there's a sixth kind of theme, really, to tack on to the end. And that's the theme of opposition, the theme of conflict. When Jesus comes, he causes conflict. He causes some people to oppose him. And we saw a kind of hint of that last week. It began last week. As Jesus, if you remember, he was, he was eating with the wrong crowd. He was eating with, with tax collectors and sinners. And the people who were in charge of the religious kind of authority at the time, they didn't like that. And we had the, the beginnings of this, this conflict with Jesus. And that theme is what's going to be developed today in the passage we're looking at. So we're looking at basically the next three chunks, the next three incidents uh, in, in Jesus' life as recorded in Mark's Gospel. And, and the real theme is that of conflict. Jesus' conflict with the religious authorities. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly enjoy conflict. It's not something I, not something I particularly embrace or, or lean into. Um, but I find when I do find myself in conflict, it tells me a lot. We can learn a lot about conflict. It tells me a lot about myself and a lot about the person who I'm in conflict with. I don't know if you found that. Maybe you found that yourself in your experience. You're, you're in conflict with someone in whatever level in your life. Maybe that's happening right now. And maybe as you take a step back and you think, oh, hold on, the reason I'm having a difficulty with this person actually tells me a lot about me and where I'm at and it tells me a lot about them and where they're at so what we're going to find is as we see Jesus conflicting with the Pharisees we learn a lot about Jesus and where he's at and what he came to do and also about the the Pharisees and and where where they're at right so Mark chapter 2 and we're going to start off at verse 18 Mark 2 verse 18 now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so let's pause there. We need a little bit of background to help us understand what's, what's going on here. What, what is fasting? Uh, fasting is a kind of religious practice that the, the, ancient, uh, the, the Jew, Jewish people uh, did. Uh, giving up food for a period of time, maybe a day. And it was, it was kind of associated with, uh, with mourning and with, with, with uh, grief over, over sin. So in the Jewish law, um, it was regulated they should, that the whole nation should fast once a year. There was one fast a year. Um, now the Pharisees in Jesus' day were kind of the, the ultra-devoted religious people. They were super enthusiastic, super zealous for God. And so they wanted to go above and beyond what the law required. So instead of once a year, the Pharisees fasted twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. They went without food as a show of their mourning and grief over sin, that they're taking it really seriously, that they're really devoted religiously. Okay, so that's their kind of standard for what religious devotion looks like. Okay, Jesus comes along and Jesus' followers don't fast like the Pharisees do. And so they've got questions. Well, what's going on with this Jesus movement? Are you really taking religious things? Are you taking God seriously? That's the question that's being raised here. And let's have a look at how Jesus responds, because his response is very revealing to this question. Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. So Jesus isn't saying, my disciples don't fast because it's wrong. He's not saying they don't fast because it's sort of out of line with what God wants. He's saying, he's kind of 
recasting the whole question in different terms. He's kind of redefining what, what fasting is. And he's talking about it in relational terms. You see that? He says, it's a bit like a, a wedding. And when the bridegroom's there, people don't, don't fast because they're happy. There's a, they're happy to be with him in his presence. I don't know about you, if you've ever been to a wedding where after the service, uh, you go to the next room and instead of cakes, there's uh, some jugs of water and no food. Anyone been to a wedding like that? No, that weddings aren't places for fasting. Weddings are places for feasting. Because you love the bride and groom, there's a relationship there and you're happy to be with them. There's a joy in each other's presence. And Jesus is saying, I'm like that bridegroom, my followers are like the people in that wedding, and so there's a relationship, there's a joy. Well, one day I'll be taken away, and then they'll fast. You see what he's doing? He's redefining what fasting is. It's not a religious duty, it's relational. Now that's a hint, that's just a hint, that Jesus is bringing something very different from what the Pharisees are used to. Okay, that's a hint. And he goes on then to make it really explicit. Verse 21. He says this, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for, is for fresh wineskins. So Jesus is taking two images from what would have been their daily experience, normal life for them. A bit of cloth, a garment, and wine in wineskins. And the thing that those images have got in common is that there's something old and something new is being added and they're incompatible. And when the new is added to the old, the result is destruction of both. Okay? That's what the two pictures have got in common. I was trying to think, uh, what's an image from our daily experience that might sort of have the same meaning? We don't tend to sew bits of uh, patches onto old garments anymore, do we? It's kind of a lost art in these days. You just buy something new from wherever, the cheap shop down the road. It's, it's not, not hard. We don't tend to have wineskins either, do we? It's bottles of wine now. So what's a, an image from our experience? I was thinking about this. Um, the, the phone I had before this one, uh, it was an old phone. Uh, something like an iPhone 4, and uh, I kept onto it as long as I could. I was quite, you know, took a certain pride in making this phone last as long as I could. Uh, and every time Apple would send me a software update, uh, my, my phone got a little bit slower as the memory got a little bit bigger. And then at some point, Apple sent me a software update that was no longer compatible with my phone because it was so old. And it just wouldn't work because the operating system was too new. And when I added it to my phone, the software wouldn't work. And my phone wouldn't work. The whole thing was just broken. Everything was lost. There was, there was no point in having the software and my phone wouldn't work. And then I upgraded eventually and swallowed a bit of uh, reality <laughs> that I had to come, up, come to terms with the modern age. Okay, so it's kind of a, the same thing, something old and something new is being added and they're not compatible. You see? So what's the meaning of it? Okay, Jesus says there's something old that's like a, a structure. It's like a shell. And that old thing, Jesus says, it's, that's the old covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. Okay? So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll kind of know what I mean by that. If you're not, that's fine. What happened basically in the Old Testament was God uh, saved a group of people. He chose a group of people called Israel, the nation of Israel, and he gave them the law. And the law was there to kind of shape and put boundaries around their relationship with him. Because God wanted that nation to be a picture of who he was to the, to, to the world. He wanted people to come to him through Israel. So the, the deal was, he made a sort of a covenant, an agreement with them. 
you keep this law because I want you to be a picture of me to the nations. And if you do keep it, I'm going to bless you and that's what I want to happen. And if you, if you break this law, I'm going to have to curse you because I can't let that be the picture of me you're giving. Okay, so it's a conditional covenant. Obey, blessing, disobey, curse. And if you've read the Old Testament, you'll, you'll come across this. It's all the way through um, the Old Covenant. It's a, it's a covenant of structure. And there's rituals and there's laws. And they had to go through a priest to get to God. They have to give sacrifices to, to have their sins forgiven. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a covenant of, of, of law, of, of structure. So what's the, that's the old wineskin. So what's the new thing that Jesus is saying is arriving? Well, the new thing is what he's bringing, which is the new covenant. And all the way through the Old Testament, right, there's an acknowledgement that there needs to be something new because the old isn't sufficient because they're going to break the law. They have to break it because they're, they're sinful. Okay? And the new thing that's promised is what Jesus brings. A new covenant that's a covenant of immediate relationship with God. A covenant where you don't have to go through priests to get to him. A covenant where you don't have to sacrifice animals to be forgiven. A covenant where Jesus comes, he pays the one sacrifice forever, he rises again, and then when you say, I can't do it, I'm yours Jesus, he comes to live inside your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's a covenant that, where he, he wins your heart. And it says in the Old Testament, the law will be written on their hearts. It's a covenant where we, there's no barriers between us and Jesus, where we, we have no, nothing between us. And we, we want to obey him because we're, we're captured by him. He, he, he's won us. It's a, it's a radical difference between new and old. And it's a wonderful difference. It's a wonderful difference. But the Pharisees don't get that. Because the Pharisees, these, these religious people, they're committed to their old covenant structure. They're committed to the rules and the rituals. They're in it and that's what they're committed to. And therefore there's the inevitable result. When new wine... Is that old wineskins that aren't going to budge? What happens? It's destruction. Both, both are lost. And the next two incidents that we're going to look at kind of illustrate that point. They illustrate that point with reference to a, a particular set of rules um, surrounding the Sabbath day. Okay, so let's jump in and let's have a look at uh, verse 23. We'll pick up the story in verse 23. One Sabbath... He, Jesus, was going through the cornfields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? All right, so we'll pause again there. And again, to understand this, you need to know a little bit about some of the traditions that the Pharisees had built up around the Sabbath day and what the Sabbath day was for. So the Sabbath day was basically a day off. In the Jewish law, it was Saturday, a day where they rested from work. And it was there in the Ten Commandments. If you ever learned the Ten Commandments, it's number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A day off from work. But again, the Pharisees, they wanted to go above and beyond the law. So not just rest from work, but they put together a whole load of uh, prohibitions, things you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath, to try and make sure there was no chance that anyone could break the law. So they made a list of 39 extra things, extra rules, that surrounded the Sabbath day um, in kind of... The, the first century world that Jesus came into. Um, and number, number three or four, I think, on the list was don't reap on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to uh, pluck your corn and, and uh, do that because that, that's kind of classed as work on the Sabbath day. Now, this was a, a, a thing they were extremely proud of. It was kind of a, a, a national heritage, a, a, a real kind of a source of, of national pride for them. 
Um, so it was a really big deal that they didn't want anyone to break the laws on the Sabbath. So that's what's going on in the background here. And Jesus comes along, and his disciples are plucking ears of corn. The Pharisees are looking on saying, hold on, that's against the rules. That's against the, our traditions. What's going on here? And it's no longer just sort of concern from a distance. Now they, they confront Jesus, and they, and they challenge, and they question. And they say, uh, verse 24, look, wh- why are your disciples doing what's lawful, not lawful on the Sabbath? Let's have a read of what Jesus responds. Verse 25, and, and Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is referring there to an incident that again happened in the Old Testament, um, in the life of King David, one of Israel's greatest kings. Although he wasn't king then, it happened when he was uh, just an ordinary person, although he had a promise that he would be king at some point, and the king was Saul. And Saul didn't like David, and David was fleeing for his life from Saul. You can read all about it if you want to in, in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. So David's on the run, he knows he's got God's promise to be king, he goes to the house of God and he and his men are desperate for some food because they've had to leave without preparations. So he goes in and he, he gets the, the bread that's in the house of God and, and by Jewish law only the priests are meant to eat that bread. Okay, that's the law. David comes in as God's promised king and he kind of overrules, overrides that law. He takes the bread and, and eats it with his men. That's what Jesus is referring to. So it's, it's an incident where, where someone that's been chosen by God, set apart by God, um, has a, a situation of human need and he overrides the law. And Jesus is saying, remember that, Pharisees? That happened then and, and there's no disapproval of it? Well, that's kind of what's going on here. And the point is that the Pharisees have missed the point. Because verse 27, the point of the Sabbath is, it's made for man. Man isn't made for the Sabbath. The point is to bless. The purpose of the Sabbath there is to bless humanity, not to restrict. That was the original intention. The purpose was to give people a day off, a chance to rest from work. And work is something that is cursed by God in the Bible, and it's frustrating. Uh, We all know that, don't we? We all know that work is frustrating. You've ever had that experience where you go into work and there's just another issue to deal with that you don't need. Your to-do list gets longer. You have an IT issue in the middle of the day, which means you've got a couple of hours out. And Work is frustrating, and we know that. That's because of the fall. And God says, have a day off from work. Have a day off and remember what life was meant to be like and remember, if you belong to me, what life will be like. Remember your hope. That's the point of the Sabbath day. It's it's, it's for man. It's, It's to bless us. Not restrict us, but they've missed that. And they haven't just missed the point of the Sabbath here. They've missed who Jesus is. It says in verse 28, the Son of Man is is Lord of the Sabbath. If David, God's king, overrode the, the law because of human need, well, he's saying, hold on, there's one greater than David here. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I have authority over it. Imagine how they would have felt about that claim, the Pharisees. Insulted? Offended, outraged, perhaps. Now that sets the scene for what happens next, the next incident. Chapter 3, verse 1. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus. 
to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. All right, so the scene set. The synagogue is the place they meet together for worship on, on, the, on the Sabbath day. And the, the Pharisees are there. And again, in, in their law, in the extra laws they've built up around the, the law in the Bible, you're allowed to heal on the Sabbath, but only if there's, there's not life-threatening situation. Okay? So they've kind of made this, this fence, this arbitrary fence, where they say you can do so much, but only if it's a real emergency. And this guy, he's got a withered hand. That's a problem, a serious problem in that culture. But it's not going to kill him. His life's not in danger. So technically, it's against their law for Jesus to heal him. Now Jesus has got a reputation by now for healing. So they're intrigued. They're watching him and they're saying, what's he going to do? And the, you can imagine, can't you, the, 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 the worshippers in the synagogue sitting in their rows and they're sort of nudging each other and whispering, and what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Pharisees are there. Jesus is there. Man with the, with the hands there. What's going to happen? Verse 3. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So Jesus is walking straight into the confrontation. He's not ducking out. He's going to make a scene of it. He points to the man and says, stand up. Come over here. The man stands up and he walks over to Jesus. And there's silence and everyone's looking at each other. What's going to happen? Looking at the Pharisees, looking at Jesus, looking at the man. Verse 4. And Jesus said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked round at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Can you see what's going on? Jesus is exposing, really uh, cleverly, the fact that they've missed the point again. They've missed the whole point of the Sabbath. His question to them, what's it lawful to do on the Sabbath? Good or evil, to save life or to kill? It's, it's exposing their position. It's exposing the narrowness of their law and the stubbornness of their hearts. Because it's, it's kind of an obvious answer, isn't it? It's, what's it lawful to do on the Sabbath? Well, to do good, obviously, to, to save life. It wouldn't be in the law to destroy and to kill on the Sabbath. But the problem is they've made rules that rule that out. So they're in a difficult situation. But they don't want to back down. They just stay silent. And Jesus is grieved by that. He's angry. He thinks, this wasn't the way it was meant to be. These, the religious leaders were not meant to be like this. Leading my people into stubbornness and, and hardness of heart. And so he says, stretch out your hand. And with compassion, with power, with authority, the man's hand is healed. And the result of the conflict, it's kind of inevitable. It sort of reaches a climax by this point. Let's have a look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out, and they're livid. They are livid. And immediately they held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And can you see the irony? Can you feel the irony here? Jesus has just made the point publicly and powerfully that the, that the Sabbath is not about killing. It's about saving life and giving life. And what do the Pharisees do? Immediately they go out to plot his death. What day is it? It's the Sabbath day. They're plotting to kill him on the Sabbath day. And there's an extra irony here as well. Because Jesus has come to bring in a new covenant. He's come to bring in a new relationship with God. A new, a new system completely. And you know the way he brings it in? By being killed by the Pharisees and the Herodians and, and the Romans. That's the way he brings in the new covenant that the Pharisees are so committed to avoiding. 
So can you see the point here? The point that's weaving through these three incidents. There's a kind of an escalation of the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. See the point? The Pharisees are so committed to their structures, so committed to the the rules that they've created of the old covenant, the old wineskin, that they miss the reality. The reality of, of life, of new covenant life that God's brought us into by the Holy Spirit. That's the point that Mark's making here. And it's, it's a point that we need to hear as well. It's a point that we need to hear. We need to be careful that we don't slip back into a kind of old covenant way of thinking. A focus on structure and rules. And miss the reality of the new covenant. I think that's what we need to be listening to. That's what God wants to say to us through this passage. Don't focus on the structures of your faith so much that you miss the reality because the reality is good stuff don't miss it and my suggestion is that this is usually the reason for spiritual apathy it's usually the reason for our temperature being a bit lower than perhaps it could be it's usually the reason for people being disinterested or switching off from christianity or thinking it's not relevant usually because we're thinking that christianity is about structure and rules we've focused on those things the outward things, and we're missing the reality that Jesus came to bring. And it's usually well-meaning, right? So you become a Christian, say, and you're brought into this new relationship with God, and there's a desire to grow, and you learn about the faith, and you learn about the structures, and you learn about, oh, it's important to read the Bible, and it's important to attend church, and it's important to pray, and it's important to fight against sin in your life, and you want to please, you want to please God, You want to please your new Christian friends and Christian family, so you start doing these things. You have some good weeks where it goes well. You have some bad weeks where it doesn't go so well. But easily, those things that you do become the focus. They become kind of the the end in themselves. They become the point. And we can easily slip into doing those things in order to kind of secure our relationship with God, secure our closeness to God. We miss the point. We miss the point that those things that we do are meant to be an expression of a relationship that's already there. A relationship that's given to us as a gift by Jesus in the new covenant. And that's when Christianity, that's when our lives, that's when the things we do can become a burden, can become stale. It's a bit like, uh, picture a married couple, a married couple, they've got married and they're, uh, they're excited about being together, about their new relationship, and excited about being, being, being married and the adventure ahead of them. And they, they talk to friends and they read books about what, how to be married well, how to build a good marriage, and someone gives them advice, have a weekly date night, that's really important, make sure you're communicating and going out and doing fun stuff. They make it, perhaps some rules between them, let's make sure we, we speak for 10 minutes at the end of every day and keep communicating. Maybe they'll... they'll put in the diary every year to get away on an anniversary break or something. So they create structure for their relationship. It's well-meaning. But then those things become fixtures in the diary and they're there every week. And the years go on. But the structure's there, but the relationship begins to drift. And they start doing different things, start getting separate lives. And the date night's still happening. But instead of gazing over each other's, into each other's eyes over a, over a candle, they're kind of eating their meal in silence and, and going home. So something's gone wrong somewhere. They've, they've missed the point. They've, they've forgotten 
the gift that their marriage is. They've forgotten the privilege of being united together in, in the marriage union. So what's needed is for them to rediscover their relationship, to remember what it was about that person that, that drew them to them in the, in, in the first place, to rediscover the, the privilege and the gift it is to be married to each other. So what's needed is, as we, as we experience perhaps drift in, in relationship with God and going through the motions perhaps, what's needed to rediscover the gift that it is to be in relationship with him. The privilege, the privilege of knowing God as our father. The privilege of having the spirit living inside us. The privilege of a real relationship with the God of heaven. A real relationship with the God of heaven. What a privilege. Now, I'm not saying there's no place for structure, all right, in the new covenant. Okay, new wine doesn't get poured into thin air. New wine gets poured into new wineskins, all right? So I'm not saying just throw the structure away. Okay, if, if, I, if you were counselling that, that couple, you wouldn't say stop having date nights, you wouldn't say stop talking, just accept the drift. But you would say look beyond the structure. Don't be satisfied with just going through the motions. Have an honest heart-to-heart chat. Talk about where you're at. Say sorry if you need to. Turn back to each other in love. That's what's needed. And so if you're, I know, perhaps you're feeling like the structures of Christianity, maybe reading the Bible is hard work, it's just not working for you. Maybe you're finding you're struggling to pray, perhaps. It's hard. You're feeling like church just isn't, isn't doing it for you. It feels like you're just kind of here, but it's a bit hollow, going through the motions. What's needed is not just to scrap it all, throw out the window and say, well, I'll accept the drift, I'll just leave it behind. No, keep doing those things, but look beyond those things. Have a heart-to-heart with God. Talk about where you're at with him. Say sorry for whatever you need to say sorry for. Turn back to him in love. Do those things that you did at first. That's what's needed, because that's the reality. Now, whenever we talk about kind of structures, right, and, and, and rules and, and things around Christianity, around the relationship, it can be confusing, because here's the thing. New wineskins can look very similar to old wineskins. They can look just the same, all right? My, my new iPhone can look very similar to my old iPhone. But actually, what's, what's underneath is, is very different. So the, the, new, kind of, the new covenant, the, the way that expresses itself, Jesus says, when he, when he um, commissions his disciples, he says, go and teach the people that become Christians to obey everything I've commanded you. All right? So what does the new wineskin, the, the new structure of Christianity look like? It looks like obeying Jesus, obeying him. And there's lots that Jesus commands in the Bible that's very similar to the old covenant, the old wineskin. Right? Don't murder. Don't be angry. Don't commit adultery. All that stuff. Remember that he teaches. So it might look very similar, but the context of those two things is completely different. Those two people might look the same on the outside, but what's going on inside could be completely different. In the old covenant, you're obeying because that's your part of the deal. Because that's the way you secure God's blessing. That's the way you secure his his favour. In the new covenant, you obey Jesus because you're already one with him. You're, You're in the closest possible relationship you could be with him. Because you love him. There's a really helpful, I think, section in, in John's gospel about this where Jesus kind of talks about obedience to him and, and love for him and how those two things fit together. And he says, the way that you obey me should kind of parallel the way I obey my father. He says, I, I obey my father's commands and abide in his love and you should obey my commands and abide in, in my love. So I find that helpful because 
did Jesus obey God to secure his love, to stay in his good books, to, to, to make him happy, to, to, to secure his relationship? No. Jesus was totally secure in his relationship with his father. He loved his father and he knew his father loved him. And so he says, it's, it's my food to do the will of my father. He just loved obeying God. That's what it's like for us. We're totally secure as believers in Jesus, in his love. There's nothing we have to do to earn it. And so we obey because we love him. It's our food to do his will. It's a kind of parallel. So outwardly, those two things could look very similar. But when there's a change in covenant from old to new, the reality is totally different. Old and new wineskins couldn't be further apart. So I want to just work through a practical example of how this looks, okay? Because it's easy to talk about these things in theory and and have words, but actually putting it on the ground with a specific area of the Christian life, I think is sometimes helpful. So the, 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 the specific area that I thought it would be good to, to focus on is, is actually the Sabbath day. Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about here. So how does this make a difference, old versus new? How does it make a difference to the Sabbath? The Sabbath right? And I'm aware that there'll be different backgrounds here. People who've had d- different experiences of um, Christian kind of keeping of the Lord's Day, like keeping Sunday special, uh, which is now what Christians since the early church have had Sunday as sort of their equivalent of the Jewish Sabbath day. There'll be people who are from very strict backgrounds, who have had very strict kind of Sabbath, Sunday observance. There are people from fairly kind of loose backgrounds. Sunday's a bit different, but not very. Uh, there'll be people here who uh, might have no background at all in, in keeping Sunday special or doing Sunday in a different way or having it as a day off, not from a Christian uh, kind of background. My own story... Okay, I was brought up in a home where Sunday was observed in quite a strict way. So there were a lot of things that weren't allowed um, as I was as a, uh, growing up. So no work. Um, we didn't do any homework. We didn't go to parties. I, w- I didn't play on a Sunday league football team. My friends did. And we went to church three times. So my Sundays were very kind of rigid and controlled. And uh, for me, that was kind of like a, like a whole load of boundary markers stopping me from doing stuff I wanted to do. Okay, that's my background for Sunday. Um, when I left home, I was a Christian, started to kind of read the Bible a bit more and look into this difference for myself between the new covenant and the old covenant and began to be convinced I'm not under the law anymore, under Old Testament law. So I began to feel a bit freer about the, the rules that I'd grown up with. Um, I did still sense the benefit of having this kind of retreat from life, from work. So I didn't want to give it up completely, but there was a bit more freedom there. And what I find really interesting about this question is that Jesus doesn't really give many commands about the Sabbath. He doesn't reinstate it. He doesn't abolish it. What we do have is this, chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? And I think when we, when we think in new covenant terms, it makes sense. The old, in the old way, it was a rule. You did it because it was a rule, and you obeyed it because it was a rule. In the new way, you're brought into a relationship with God. He lives in you by his spirit. And so you're, you're kind of made a new person. You have a new nature. You're a completely new person inside. But you're living in a hostile world. And so the Sabbath day is kind of a, a, day, a chance to step back from the world you're in, recharge, and have a reminder of who you are in Jesus and where you'll be, the, the, the hope that, that, that you'll be, that the rest that you'll have from this world in the future. So I think I've kind of changed my picture 
right? My, my, my mental image of the Sabbath day as I've grown up. When I was a child, I thought of it as a fence, stopping me from doing what I wanted to do. Now, I think I see it more as an oxygen mask, right? Anyone ever been swimming underwater and kind of reached the limit of where you think you can hold your breath? Anyone had that? Whether it's intentional, you're, like, you're having a competition to stay underwater for as long as you can or s- swim five lengths of the small pool that you're on a holiday. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's unintentional, you, you do a somersault and you get mixed up or you're knocked under the, the sea by a wave. That feeling of being under the water and running out of breath and you're going <gasps> to... Imagine in that moment an oxygen mask comes and is attached to your face by a hand. You take a deep breath <gasps> and it's such a relief. And I think that is what the Sabbath day should feel like. As, as New Covenant believers in Jesus, we're living in a world where there's so much hostility, so much uh, sort of against faith in Jesus, and, the, and sun, Sunday, the Sabbath day, is an opportunity to take a step back, to spend time with other Christians, to be encouraged, to, to remember who we are and where we're going. So if that's what it's like, then wh- why wouldn't you take advantage of it? The, the Sabbath is a gift. It's not a restriction. Why wouldn't you? Do everything you can to be at church. Why wouldn't you do everything you can to spend time with other Christians on that day? Why wouldn't you do whatever you can to, 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 to fill your mind with, with truth and with, with Jesus? Whatever it looks like for you, why wouldn't you? It's a gift. It's a gift. So maybe for you, Sunday is one of those things that has become kind of routine. And you're going through the motions. And maybe thinking of it that way helps. Maybe for you, it's not Sunday that's become routine. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's reading the Bible. You're struggling with it. Maybe it's, it's um, some other kind of spiritual discipline that you've put in place in your life. It, it, well-meaning. Maybe you're struggling to pray. You're feeling cold, feeling distant, whatever it might be. Or maybe you're one of those people who the reading on the thermometer is zero. And you've got really no interest in Christianity. And there's no kind of desire. There's, there's no kind of sense of... This, this means anything to me. Well, maybe, just maybe, if you're in one of those places this afternoon, it's because you're missing the point. Maybe. And that's not what Jesus came to bring. He didn't come to bring structure and rules. He came to bring relationship. He came to bring something new. Relationship with God. He came to bring the Holy Spirit as a gift. Structure matters. But structure is not the point. The point is relationship. An incredible, incredible privilege. So let's not forget that. Let's not focus on those things that we do so much that we miss the point, like the Pharisees did. And maybe we might need to rethink what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, to relate to God, what Jesus came for. Do that rethink with God. Go to him. Have a heart to heart. Have a heart to heart and, and share where you're at. Say sorry for what you need to say sorry for. Turn back to him in love.